Hello and welcome to the Fellowship Phase, an Adventures in Middle-Earth podcast. I'm Josh and that's Callum. We're going to give you inside information on how to find your own path through Tolkien's world. O Gondor, Gondor, shall men behold the silver tree, or west wind blow again between the mountains and the sea? Clear and cold about the tower, its loud horn calls, calling forth now those who stand firm, still, when hope falters. Standing a little over six feet tall, Halmir is sturdily built and carries himself with the dignity and pride of a career soldier. He has the fair skin common to the Gondorian men of twilight, and wears a black fur-lined travelling cloak over his ringmail and black tunic. On his breast he wears a silver brooch, boasting the Swan of Dol Amroth. He carries army-issue longsword and bow, and on his back displays the great shield of the citadel emblazoned with a white tree he was awarded on rising to the rank of captain. His dark beard is neatly trimmed, his hair is cropped close at the sides and drawn into a short and functional ponytail. There is a notched scar on his chin, cut by the curved scimitar of an umbar corsair. Halmir, son of Halbarad, is a veteran soldier of Gondor. This Dol Amroth nobleman joined the ranks of the Gondorian army as a teenager during the stewardship of Turgon and rose to become a seasoned captain of Gondor. Halmir fought against orcs and Easterlings throughout Ithilien, including at Caer Andros, where he was stationed, and at the crossing of Osgiliath. At the end of his commission, Halmir returned to Dol Amroth to discover that his uncle and mentor, Baronor, was missing with his lineage's great heirloom sword, Gilfilas, the Star of the Shore. Hello, Callum. Hello, Josh. I'm, I'm grinning from ear to ear. I love the I'm really excited. I love Halmir. I think he, he kind of became the driving part for this, the second arc of the... I feel like there's been three main big arcs yeah. in our story. And we're on to the third one currently in, in, in the game. I mean, we'll be talking about the first arc, which was leading up to the Dremorhorn. And now we're on into the second one, I guess. And it was very much, I think... I don't think Mahalmi was necessarily the main character, but I think his quest was the the driving force. And yeah, that's an uh, introduction to Halmir, who was my second character. Now, I think we've said several times, when I took on Theodric at the beginning of the game, I'd always intended, and we'd always intended, it would be um, temporary, that he was going to be this older character who would be a bit of a guide to both the characters and also the players as we kind of settled into a role-playing game. Now, by the nature of him being a slightly more senior figure, the plot kind of centred centered around the Bjornings and, and um, Theodric is a Bjorning. That came to a conclusion at the Dwimmerhorn when we kind of lifted a shadow over the veil. Uh, and that was time for Theodric to, to retire. Um, and you and I have been speaking for a while about me then transitioning to a new character, uh, which I was really excited about because it felt a lot more kind of like of a blank slate um, and so what we wanted to do with this episode was use it as a chance to talk about creating a character, but in the middle of a campaign and why that could be different to creating a character at the beginning. Because I think there were certain things that happened that 
made me make certain choices in creating Halmir. And I also think because we work quite closely together on it, it then affected the campaign introducing Halmir. So I think there's a lot to to dig into there. I learned so much about as a DM about how to best make a character or help players make characters that fit the campaign. And I guess sometimes you're left feeling, particularly if it's a pre-written campaign, you know, you set up the campaign and the players set up their players and that's two separate things. And what Mm -hmm. worked really well with Halamir was that it felt more collaborative and we had like a, I guess, a a session zero or whatever the session, you know, a mini mini catch up before where you came along, you said, this is the sort of character that I'm planning to play. These are the ideas I've got. And it was a gift. It is a gift. Your character, because you had so many hooks almost. Like, I guess often we talk about plot hooks as the DM giving to the characters, but the players can give plot hooks to the DM. And that's, I really, I get really excited of that. So, one of the main things that you you had was, I think it was it from your background. It was, or, well, I don't know what how the, where the uncle thing came in. It was is that part of the character creation process that you had to find someone or you're missing someone? It wasn't like mandated by the book. It was that I wanted to have. This was about I think joining a campaign midway through was obviously I had quite a lot of like meta knowledge about like what was going on, and I didn't want to disrupt that. And I also didn't want to attach myself too clearly to something that was already like in the world that you were working with. So I was like, how about this? He's going to have a, a a clear purpose, which is that he is looking for his uncle, who he has a strong bond with, who is missing, and he knows nothing else about it. We talked a bit about <laughs> it, and I pitched this to you. And I was like, how, how does this feel? I was like, it feels like I wanted to be a man of Gondor because I was re- I'm fascinated by Gondorian culture. No one had played one. I wanted to be a fighter. I had this idea of like a soldier felt like a good adventurer because that was, I'd be joining at a higher level than because the party were already leveled up. And it was like, well, why would a character already have these, these skills? It, would he be a part of another adventuring party? And I was like, well, if he was a seasoned soldier, he'd be good in a fight and, you know, he would have survival skills and, you know, he'd, he'd have his own armor and shield. I thought, okay, cool. But why would a man of Gondor be in the Wilderland? Like, I, I, the, there was no particular narrative reason why these cultures would come into any great contact at all. And I was like, okay, well, in that case, he he must be here for a particular reason. And I didn't want it to be too specific because I didn't want to basically disrupt what we were doing. And I was like, what I'm going to do, I'm going to come up with quite a loose but but driving reason, which is looking for someone you care about. And then I'm just going to leave it to you. <laughs> Whether I you want it. to engage with that or not, I was like, it gives Halmy a very clear purpose. Like as soon as he jumps in, he can start asking around and he can explain why he's there, but it's not going to disrupt other things. As I say, it was a complete gift because I was like, well, how am I going to work this uncle in? Who's the uncle? Why would we be traveling north? What sort of things are in the north that are related to the south? Well... Uh, and I think I could talk for a length about the the lore behind like <laughs> what links, you know, Ravania and then Gondor. But the kin strife is this whole period of like civil war in Gondor, and it's written that one of the kings of Gondor sort of runs north, re- retreats yeah. north, um, 
from the usurper Castlemere, and his name is Valakar or something. I think his yep. name is Eldakar. And he there's a sort of link about like his lineage is is mixed. He's his father had married someone from Ravanian um, when it was a kingdom. And so I was like, well, here's a really cool little bit of link. Like, why would someone be sent from Gondor northwards to try and find something that's related to that time? And then I, and then I did so much reading about the lore of that time. And I was like, this is brilliant. And that, actually, I got really invested in that. And it was all just because you said he's coming to look for his uncle. And it led me on this like deep path of lore. And I think it really, because there's some players that are really versed in Tolkien, being able to base it on stuff that is real, or I say real, is is has been written by Tolkien. Yes, can make Cannon. it really exciting for them. Um, and I, I, as you say, like you don't want to mess with what I'm thinking. Well, I don't want to mess with anything that is, you know, established. <laughs> yeah, um, there's all these layers to it. So yeah, it was really, it was really fun to have that. And I think that's a, a good point about having something that's driving. And there's nothing more driving than like someone you care about. Like that's. The best motivation of all isn't it yeah i think and i think it helps it helps that maybe it helps that i was a dm before i was a player there's always that cliche if you know someone comes up with like 10 pages of backstory that really cement exactly who their character is and exactly what they're doing and sometimes it can it ties the hands of the dm a bit because it's like well you know what what's the story we're actually able to tell here because it feels like you've you've told a lot of the story at the same time having an entirely blank character can be a challenge for the dm because it's like you know how are you are I'm you just, just like a i just paper. like potatoes yeah <laughs> i've definitely made characters like that before not specifically potatoes but now i've got a great idea for a character but and I've, this is a happy medium isn't there but they, by this point we were really invested in the campaign and i think the tone of it was like it was quite quite serious role play like we cared about the characters and we we were approach like we felt like we were heroic and we cared about the npcs and i was like well People have really put a lot of thought into their characters and have developed them over many sessions now. And I'm going to be bringing in a new character and I'd like it to be meaningful. Like, I'd, I'd like them to have enough of a backstory that I understand. Like with Theodric, I knew why he, what his motivations were, why he was doing certain things. And decisions, I was like, yep, this is what he would do. Would I, as Josh, do this? No. But I know that Theodric would. Yeah. I was like, I need, I need to have a grounding of who Halmir is and why he's here. And I love the idea of him being a soldier because we see the soldiers in the books and the films as very much like just faceless, you know, rank and file. And you've got examples like Boromir being the example of like a heroic man who's been in the army and has led men. And I was like, it has, I've said on the podcast before, I think Boromir is one of the, my favorite characters in the whole yeah. of Tolkien because of how complex He's so much yeah. like he's he's presented as much more flawed in the yeah. in the film, whereas in the books, like he is much more the the, the hero, and uh, he, I think he's almost more relatable in the books than Aragon because Aragon's like, yes, I will be king, you know, that's my yeah. destiny, <laughs> you know, yeah, give me, I I'm, I'm ready for the throne, whereas on the films they switch that round and be like reluctant, you know, they make him more yeah. likable. Boromir is very grounded, I think. Whereas in the books, I feel like Aragorn's less likable and Boromir is more likable. Although, to be honest, yeah. Sean Bean could play any character and I'd just be like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I actually agree. Just and I, I love Boromir and I love Sean Bean. And I was like, yeah, I like, right. This feels, 
he can have a backstory that I don't need to go into crazy depth with. Like it's plausible. And we talked a bit about like, where would he have served at this time in the history? You know, what kind of skirmishes were Gondor having with um, the shadow? You know, he might have fought some of the Corsairs and the borders, um, and Osculiath and Kerandros, which is in the Anduin, it's a fortress. Plausibly could have been there. Um, great. We didn't, we didn't need to go into reams and reams of detail yeah. about exactly everything he'd done. Like we were like, he could have been in these places. We developed some, uh, I had some ideas about who he was before um, and like what his motivation was. And this is when it came to the ability scores and what I chose. I love this. And there was a bit of a meta reason for doing this is I wanted to be different from Theodric. So Theodric was very charismatic. So I was like, right, I'm not going to be charismatic. But Theodric was not particularly dexterous or strong. And I was like, so I'm going to be, he's a soldier. He's going to be dexterous. He's going to be strong. He's good with a bow. He's with a, with a, with a sword. He's wears heavy armor. I was like, but I, I quite like the idea that he, you know, how would he get to the point where he was a captain of men? Now, yes, it's, uh, military in many ways is a meritocracy, but there's a degree of like, you know, kind of class and, um, you know, noble people are the ones who end up in more senior ranks in, in the military. So I thought maybe he's from a more noble family and maybe he was destined for something different, but decided to go into hmm. the military and has kind of risen up as a that way because he, he didn't want the kind of noble birth thing to lead to success. So I was like, oh, okay, I like that. And I was like, right, great. His uncle is who inspired him. His uncle's this like true heroic soldier. And Halmir, rather than following his dad, who in my mind, and I don't think I've ever spoken about it much in, in character, was this kind of, I imagine him as sort of like a councilman or like a wealthy merchant or something. Someone kind of in the middle of the aristocracy who didn't have that much power, but felt very important. Um. And Halmer just rejected it totally. I was like, nope, I'm not doing this. My uncle Baron, he's cool. He's fought all these battles. I'm just going to run off and follow him. And so Halmer's intelligence is very high because he was schooled uh, by his, his dad and went to school with his brother, but then kind of turned away from it um, and followed his, his uncle. And that was kind of how I envisaged him being pushed away from home and what his motivation was. I love that when you make characters, you make a story and then you get the rules to fit random. And I, I, I like doing that. Although sometimes I find myself being like, oh, this is a cool rule interaction. How does that fit with the character? <laughs> which, which is fine as well. There's not one way to make a character. There were elements. I, I, I think there's a bit of a feedback loop, feedback loop because I did. I wanted to be a man of Gondor. And I looked, and I've got the book open here, but men of Minas Tirith, what do they get? It talks, and it talks a lot about who they are, what their role is. Um, well, well side, side note there, I, I always think it's men of Gondor, but it says men of Minas Tirith. I guess it should be people of Minas Tirith. But if we, if we think about if, you know, the events of Middle-earth had continued to be published by Cubicle 7, then I wonder if there was maybe going to be a Gondor supplement at some point. Yeah. Potentially there would have been other cultures for different areas. There's lots of different peoples within Within yeah. Gondor, I mean, know in the books that they all turn up to fight at the Battle of the Pelner Fields, and so you know the the fiefdoms, and that would have been really cool to see what ideas the the creators had. So maybe we'll see that in the the Lord of the Rings role playing game. 
I hope which so. I'd really enjoy because I actually I very specifically didn't want to be from from, from Minister yeah. because yeah, I felt like Roth, yeah. I felt I knew about it from the lore and I was like I'd quite like to while researching this character learn a bit more and I was like Dol Amroth is this quite fascinating place that has this kind of intertwined history with the elves and it's far from trouble basically it's further further west from um, kind of the battlefields of, of the east of Gondor and it's on the shore and it's described as being incredibly beautiful and there's a kind of elven flavor to it it's a more peaceful and perhaps more sophisticated place. I also love the idea that Dolamroth has a prince. Yes, the Prince Imrahil is the one in the War of the Ring. And he's yeah. he's like absolutely like heroic, like takes yep. over, leads a city when before Aragorn goes in, you know, is really instrumental. He's a character in, in the Lord of the Rings. He's just like he's just generally very competent <laughs> all the time. Yep. And he has a swan. So the, the symbol of um, Dol Amroth is a swan, and he has like a, a kind of retinue of swan knights. Um, I just loved all the lore around Dol Amroth. So I decided it would be Man of Minas Tirith, but reflavored as Dol Amroth. And looking through the rules, something that I think maybe prompted a bit of this was that ability score increases for, um, for Gondorians, intelligence, and any two additional. So there's an inherent kind of like they are a more um, scholarly or educated society. Uh, and we see this, we talk a lot about like the library of Minas Tirith and you know, what information is kind of gleaned there. So I was like, right, he's going to have intel intelligence and proud heritage is one of the, the, the traits, which means you're proficient with history. And I was like, right. Okay. So why, why is that? Okay. That's making me think he has received a level of education, but, he's kind of moved away from it. So basically he was educated to a point, uh, probably much more so than almost anyone else in the party apart from Torwald, but he doesn't care for it particularly. Whereas my older character was very intelligent, but in a kind of worldly non-academic way. So I liked that change. I also liked that because of their connection with the elves, men of Minas Tirith and specifically of Dol Amroth can speak Sindarin as well as common, which was interesting because it doesn't come up very often but every so often there were things we encountered elves or or there was text or lore that I could read. And it felt it added this air of mystery, I think, for Helmir to the other members of the party. We're like, who is this kind of strange, very pale skinned man who can also speak elvish? I enjoyed that a lot. Um, and then I went to the, uh, the the starting virtues and the cultural virtues. And there are some very cool virtues which you can pick including a captain of gondor which i loved it's become kind of a defining ability to the point where sometimes on it is overpowered and then i actually think about the mechanics and i'm like not really no it's not overpowered. it's, it's, it's not overpowered it's, it's really just... good particularly in aim captain of gondor and this is halmir actually on my character sheet i have written halmir a captain of gondor is his name the rule is once per battle, you may have a nearby ally automatically hit on what was a missed attack. Doesn't sound that impactful, does it? But there's been so many clutch moments in combat. And I actually love it as a DM when like, you know, someone misses and it's like a bit disappointing and you're narrating how they go. And then you kind of, you like kind of put your hand up and you're like, <laughs> Halmir, and he always like narrates it. It's like you know he shouts a word of encouragement or like does something, and then they hit. And everyone's every time that happens, everyone's like, yeah, like it's just such a 
it feels like a real swing of momentum often. Even I love it. How much damage. It, yeah, it doesn't, and it, it feels like a, it's quite a minor buff, but it feels like he was a professional soldier, and by being in the party, the party are just a little bit better at combat for his his presence, not wildly. So it's one hit that otherwise would have missed, but it has been particularly exciting. And I think it then the the person who then gets to hit often takes over the narration of like describing why this near failure became like a crucial moment. So I think that, and then the other thing is I chose a cultural heirloom because I was entering at a level where uh, I would have taken an ability score increase by this point. I chose to take a cultural heirloom and took the um, great shield of the the Citadel, which is a, basically a tower shield that's exceptionally strong. And it plus five to AC or something crazy. So a tower shield gives you plus four and the, the heirloom is an additional plus one. So it's a total plus five to my AC. Which is bad. So Halmer's AC has consistently been 21. I always found it a bit like disappointing in, in standard 5th edition D&D shields. I love shields. I love thinking about shields, shields and media. <laughs> you know, they're just, they're just awesome. And it's just, it's just a bit boring. There's not that many magical shields. No, you know, it's I just think a previous editions had bucklers where you got like plus one AC, but you could still use two weapons or something like that. Um, but they got rid of that because it was too power- powerful. And then now it's just like, you've got a shield plus two AC. And then you spend loads of time resource getting magical armor, getting up to plate armor or breastplate, and you're still left with this boring old shield. And I think it's just a bit, it feels a bit uncreative to me. So I do like that in this game, there is there is options for other shields. The, down, the downside of the tower shield is it gives you disadvantage in stealth, but you're already getting that from, from your heavy armor, so who cares? It was basically something I just accepted, was that Halmir was good at a lot of things. He was not good at stealth. Well, actually, his ability, he's very dexterous, um, and he is he is good. He has a good stealth modifier, yeah. but because he's always in heavy armor... It, There's it been a couple of times where you've like deliberately taken off the heavy armor and shield. Yeah. And then Which gone in stealth mode. And I really, I've really enjoyed those. It's like it feels like a very different, almost different character. I was pretty set on him being a, a a warrior because I actually adore fighters. Like just a, a straightforward sword and board, like uncomplicated. I I like the idea of just in D and D the equivalent of a human fighter, which is a very blank canvas, very basic. I think it's fun to be had with it. And I was looking forward to being a warrior and. Crucially, I was very keen not to be the leader because I felt that Phaedric had deliberately on our part led the party. And I was like, it feels like as a player, I've done that and it's time for other people to to lead. And a soldier is a good example of someone who would follow by their very nature. Like he would slot straight in being like, you know what? I'm going on a quest and I'll help you because I've you know served in a group of people. Bang, sorted. Yes, I and he fitted in really well. It was interesting as well because he sort of woke up and has the healing, and then <laughs> everyone was like, "Who's this guy?" And then you were like, "Well, hello, I'm Halmir." So you know, that was it just I, I love that sort of trying to surprise people and, and make it unexpected. Uh, it twists in the story, particularly when it's introducing new player characters. My my question was going to be the cultural virtues, and every time we we come on the podcast and talk about some of the rules, and I look back at the book. I, I always surprise it because I've not really I've made one character myself. And occasionally I look at it for inspiration for NPCs, but most of the time yeah. not. Uh, and I'm always surprised when I look back through it, particularly things like the cultural virtues, 
just how much variation and like inspiration and how many cool rules there are. Yep. Were you tempted by any of the other um, cultural virtues for men and ministers? People in I was tempted, really, really tempted by piercing sight. Um, and what it does is it's more of a social one. And it's partly why I didn't choose it in the first place, because I had been a very social encounter heavy character and I wanted to veer away from it. The way it works is the first time you're introduced to another person as part of a social encounter, instead of making an ability check using a skill, you, as a man of Gondor, may fix your opponent with your steely gaze. The target must make a wisdom saving throw against the DC equal to eight plus your proficiency plus your wisdom modifier. If it fails, you gain insight into its reasoning, its emotional state, maybe something that looms large over its thoughts. Wow. Whether you succeed or fail, uh, the opponent knows it feels unsettled by your gaze. And so any other social checks have disadvantage. Um, it's you, interesting. If you abuse the knowledge, it can be a misdeed. Um, it's yeah. interesting. It's, I quite it's like an ability that's it's not actually super powerful. No, it's not super powerful. Insight is reasoning, if any, it's emotional state. I think I would... I'd be quite generous in how much information I give you because there's definitely a downside of of the disadvantage on um you know further charisma checks and yeah. uh the the fact that it's quite situational and you're taking a whole cultural virtue to do that. So I think yeah. if you had taken that, I would try to give you quite a lot of information, but really play up the fact that people are kind of a bit thrown off by it. I really liked it. I just I wasn't sure it fitted in with I actually think it would you could use it as a starting point for a fascinating character. Yeah, my idea that I've got just reading that is a ranger, you know, a mm -hmm. ranger of Athelion who is a wanderer, has got really high wisdom and goes around and is is sort of an agent, you know, trying to find that information. And yeah, I think that could be that could be really fun. Couple a couple of the other cultural virtues for men of Minas Tirith. Onwards into battle, you can um if any of your allies within 20 feet fails a saving throw against any effect that causes supernatural fear, you may spend a hit dice in order for them to have considered succeeded. You can't use it if you failed. So it's sort of like a, almost like an aura from a paladin. Yeah. I like that idea of adding that in. Um, there's over dangerous re leaks. You may ignore the first level of exhaustion you gain. That's it, it, a very powerful one. Uh, Massive. I looked yeah. at it. It's very, very powerful. And exhaustion comes up a lot. And actually, amusingly, Helmir became exhausted. Like, it became a bit of a running joke. He just happened to become exhausted for a variety of reasons, even though his con was really high. Um, I think this is really powerful. I just think it's a bit boring. <laughs> it feels very passive. Like, I, what, I don't know how I would narrate it in. Like, I, I, It makes sense in a, in a story point of view. It's like he was a soldier. He can probably power on. But yeah. it's like, uh, oh, great. You're exhausted. Like, no, I think Baronor might have that ability. <laughs> um, Guard of the Tower is another one. So, um, oh, I've not really read this one. Did you think about this one at all? You I did. It swore cool. to the service of the Lord and Steward of Minister as a guard of the Citadel, which would fit well with your, your shield. It basically, and a number of the cultures have this, which has, uh, it's a culture of virtue, which has like tiers. So you take one ability and then it lets you take another ability. So for instance, shield fence, long reach and many foes, each of which give you like a little combat buff. But once you put them all together, it's like super bad. Long reach. As long as you're fighting with a martial melee weapon that is not like you add five feet to your reach. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh, you can get plus one AC. So combine that. If someone's fighting by your side, you get plus one to your AC. So you could get up to 22 easily. You can spend inspiration. You add your proficiency bonus, your armor class. I've got another. So they're really kind of going on that sort of shield of the West. Yeah. Lots of things to boost AC, great shields. Wow. Um, so that's the sort of cultural virtues for men in turf. And then should we talk a bit about the warrior class itself and how you found yeah. it? And... I'm a big fan of the warrior class. And it has two, two um, archetypes. Sub- two archetypes, thank yeah, you very much. Yeah, subclass things. Um, one of which is a knight. I actually really like the idea. I actually really like the mechanics of it. I just... I don't know. Something about it felt to me like it doesn't quite fit with Wilderland or I don't know. I'm, I'd love to build a character focused on it. Yeah. The crux of it is basically that you have uh, like a, a, a ward or something, either a place or a person who you are sworn to. And the benefits and boons come from basically being in service of that person. And I like it. I like the idea that you are. And that kind of fitted in with, with what Halmir does. It's just, it, it made no logical sense when he was away from home. Yeah. I, I didn't know how to fit that in with the fact that he was hundreds of miles away from Gondor. Um, yeah, it gives you loads of really interesting um, boons, the night thing, and you have to have a chart. I think it would be really cool if you... And I've done this with um, James one time. We were, we've not played the game yet, but we made D&D characters together. Yeah. And we had the shared backstory. And, and I think that could be really cool if you you were there was two people joining a campaign or or you were doing a one-shot or an adventure and you were both going to be from Gondor or, or, or anywhere, really, I guess. And you, you built your characters together and say, you know, one person's going to play a scholar and the other person is their, their sort of guard, knight, etc. Or um, there's some sort of lord, you know, it could be any sort of combination, and there it could work really, really well. Some really powerful abilities, abilities to give you command dice, which are d6s, which you can use, things to give you cultural heirlooms. Uh, you can also, when you, uh, yeah, as as we've talked about in the game before, like the 18th level ability. When are you ever going to get to 18th level? But if you did, <laughs> whenever time your charge takes hit point damage or suffers a condition, you've been 30 feet. You can throw yourself in harm's way, suffering the damage instead. Which is again a sort of, I guess, sort of paladin protection, sort of, sort of, sort of area. So, what, what's the architect that you did choose? The other one is weapon master, and this I felt fitted in with the idea of being a soldier, the idea of someone who's good in combat because they have very explicitly trained to do it. So, the idea is that you have uh, sort mastery over a weapon or certain weapons. You pick a style, and the choices are archery, defense, dueling, great weapon fighting, protection to weapon fighting. The one I picked then was dueling, and that is when you're wielding a melee weapon in one hand with no other weapons, you can exchange the plus two bonus to damage that you get as a warrior with dueling to a plus two bonus to attack. And that's what I've used, and it's been like a key thing for Halmer throughout, which is that he basically weighs up an enemy and is he facing like something that's heavily armored in which case he's going to throw that bonus into his uh, to hit or is he thinking i need to deal more damage he's going to throw it into his wound and actually as he moves up in levels and how has more than one attack 
often I will switch it between attacks once I've got the measure of like, so if I miss with an attack the first time, I'll switch it to, to hit because yeah. I felt that he's he's trying to make Gage, sure he what's it? he's swinging exactly. hard or he's swinging delicately. I, exactly. I love I love the warrior um, classes options in aim compared to the fighter in D and D because I think what what is really great is that you know what I guess the the difference is that it's not magic. So sometimes the fighter can feel a bit one dimensional, but when you have something like the battle master subclass in fifth edition. Yeah, and I think uh, Orem, um, Liam's character in the campaign Free of Critical Role, does a really good example of playing a fighter really interestingly and doing a lot with it. In AIM, it's the same thing. It's sort of, maybe it's just ones that you've picked, but it always seems like you've got a lot of options and decisions mm-hmm. to make in combat and a lot of different things. Because the things you get as a, as a base for the warrior is you get a fighting style, which are basically the same as the ones in 5th edition are quite similar. So archery, defense, dueling, great weapon fighting, protection, two weapon fighting. And uh, you get your second wind, you get your hit points, and you get action surge. And like all of those are just amazing. <laughs> like Action surge in particular has been hugely clutch at so yeah. many times, like absolutely changed the campaign in a, in a massive way. Like that's how Baronor survived, isn't it? You, oh no, actually, no, it wasn't. Well, it was part it of the- It did reason. contribute to that. But then someone else, yeah, yeah someone, someone else, else did a natural twenty on a opportunity attack, um, which was just the most bonkers moment. Uh, I so, generally, yeah. yeah, generally with action surge, I was quite conservative. Like I often held it back till I really felt like, like, to, and I quite liked that because it felt like in time of crisis, how many could draw on those reserves and then would take an extra, it's, it's an brilliant. extra an extra turn almost yeah what i like about weapon masters the archetype of warrior here is that they don't like come up too many new abilities they say your fighting style you got you can alter and some of them are really interesting so i was just reading the two weapon fighting one which i always want to make a character that does two weapon fighting <laughs> but it just never really works and if that like normally two weapon fighting you can sort of add your you can like make a third attack as a bonus action, which you can do normally, but you can add your ability modifier to it, so yeah. it becomes decent. With this archetype, you can then forsake one of these free attacks to give your next opponent to attack you disadvantage in their attack roll. So essentially, like take the dodge action. And the main issue with two weapon fighting is that you can't hold a shield. So suddenly, like not only are you doing maybe more damage, but you're also not um, yeah. you, disadvantage is probably better than a shield, to be honest. Yeah, well, what's disadvantage? Roughly and minus five. Minus five, roughly, yeah. Oh, roughly. And then I the, like the flexibility. Yeah. And then the next thing you got from Weapon Master was a birthright weapon. Indeed, it was, and actually, this is something that we worked together on and kept back, which was that that birthright weapon, Gilfalas, the Star of the Shore, which was the family's heirloom weapon, Baronor yeah. had taken. Yeah, and you weren't and... going to get that for ages, and you knew that yeah. when you made the character, so you took. Did you take other? I didn't take birthright weapon until later on. I held off taking it until basically keeping it for when we, yeah. if and when I was reunited with the sword, which was something like forty sessions later. What did you get in the meantime? Did I give you something to make up for that, or you just? Took I, mean, I don't think I. I oh, what happened was, um, I leveled up and multiclassed into warden. Ah, yeah, that was it. So once I got to the point where my next thing would be the birthright weapon, I rather than just do it, I waited and I 
multi-class into warden yeah rationale being it gives you jack of all trades which basically improves anything you're not proficient in you get a little bump in and i liked the idea that halmir was because of his background he was pretty good at most things and i think we worked out that none of his ability scores were the best in the party but he was always like above everyone else overall because everything he had a little buff to mm. there was nothing he was bad at he was yeah, never he was the competent. strongest or the fastest but he could pretty much do anything on some level and i found that really quite helpful um he was quite survivable because if the challenge was like ford that river or to dodge something or it was cold or whatever like he, he was he as the soldier, he was probably fine, and there was always going to be someone else who would struggle a little. I'm just laughing because I'm thinking about how Halmir was often very confident in his own ability, but then you were always like Car, who was just there, and Car, who was just like yeah, so much from a man, like just like a beast of a person, and so would just <laughs> like Halmir. We did win some. Comp we had this, this various like silly uh, sessions to counterpoint the more serious role playing, you know, games and. Uh, stuff and i think there was a particular one at the in lake town it was like a sports event yeah and talmir excelled at something so yeah it was it was really interesting for you when you multi-class because I, I definitely feel like that wasn't like the optimal thing to do but it worked really well with your character in terms of being this sort of more um you know you had this experience leading people and so having mm -hmm. the warden site it worked really well and did give some advantages and then I think we kind of came up with some homebrew rules as well to add on to yeah. Halmir's repertoire. I think we did. I think what you did really well was they were not just like bolt-ons to my character. They were like things the group could do. So one of the things was later on in the campaign, and as we talked through kind of where we went after the Vale, we ended up in Dale. And one of the things was actually training with other soldiers. And I said, well, this could be an opportunity for Halmir to train Torvald. Now Torvald and Halmir have quite an interesting friendship, I think, because I think they both admire aspects of the other one. And Halmir felt actually, you know, Torald is, is an adventurer who's not really ever been trained in combat. Maybe I could take him under my wing and I could do some training. And you said if we spent a bit of fellowship phase where I effectively trained Torald, then and he would get a, a buff to something. I think he got proficiency in in uh, in broadswords. Broadswords, I think. Bows eventually. The, the benefit I got was effectively you let me have a, a pool of command dice. The idea being that I had tr spent the fellowship phase training and could give the command dice out, very similar to inspiration. Not yeah. inspiration, sorry. Um, uh, In, yes, uh, inspiration. Inspiration, yes. Inspiration, yeah. it is inspiration, yes. Yeah. Um, bardic inspiration, uh, which was quite helpful. And the other one was you came up with rules for a shield wall where if multiple characters basically teamed up they could get a massive AC boost if they put their shields together, which fitted in with the Gondorian idea. Yeah. And it also fitted in with kind of narrative fun I'd had, which was Halmy was always trying to get the party to be more organized in combat. He was always like, right, we need to have a strategy. We need to have a point where we fall back. This should be our plan. And literally every combat, people just did whatever the hell wanted. Like yeah. it just, everything felt, and it, it became quite a funny point and like a point of learning for Halmir being like oh they're not professional soldiers I'm not in the army and I'm not in charge anymore yeah <laughs> like, yeah. yeah you're so expected to people like just doing exactly what they're told when they're told and there was no I love that, that. And, was, and I, I think it, it come off 
once or twice. It was rare where it was useful. And when it was useful, it was really useful. Very useful. Um, and I, I really Precisely. enjoyed that sort of taking out a rule that wasn't like super powerful, but it certainly added into that narrative. And we've done quite a bit of that as we've gone on in terms of coming up with little optional extra things that people can bolt on and and roles that they can use which are based in narrative things that have happened yeah and i think it's always it's always about balance like you you play with the party for that long we often all recognize like oh, actually there is maybe a slight imbalance here and actually if torvald is can use his sword more like it's not making him super powered if anything he's probably for one reason or another slightly behind the curve and it's, it's very earned of him to to get that yeah, yeah, he's de he definitely struggles in combat, and I think that's one of the criticisms of the scholar class. I guess you know if you're a healer, then you can you can be really useful. But you know, as we know from many memes of uh, <laughs> RPG computer games, like you know, being the healer can sometimes be a bit you know you know like I don't want to heal, I want to attack. And like no, no, just just heal, just heal. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's that's I guess warrior and um, the cultural background and the cultural virtues. Did we talk? Did you think about your background at all? Which one did you choose for that? Um, Seeker of the Lost. Okay. Um, and the thing that was lost was very clearly barren or my uncle. And so, did you come up with that after you you decided your uncle had gone? I think I maybe had was inspired by it because I had been browsing a lot of the pages, and I think there's a I think there's a chance that it planted a seed, and then. By the time I got to picking it, I was like, yep, this is the one. That gives you proficiency in lore and investigation. And um, when you hear about a new region or ruin for the first time, you probably know a little bit of lore about it and where you can likely find even more information. Really driving you to do that. I wonder now that you've um, found Baronor, would you change your background? We have actually adjusted. There's a fellowship phase that allows you to adjust your hopes and despairs. I remember this did. definitely. And what which we <laughs> it is now. So his despair was before that he would never find the thing that was missing. So he his despair was that he would never find Baronor. Once he found him, and actually, and this is something we'll need to talk about in great length over time. Like the the, the quest to find Baronor stretched over like forty sessions. Once he was reunited. I changed that to his despair was that he m may not ever live up to the example of his uncle. So oh. it was similar, but this it was funny like his rolling paranoia. He's, he's quite, he can be quite mischief, like jokey with uh, Amir. He's got that sort of. I really of, like their dynamic. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's cast by um, Liam Neeson, and I, I just quite like that sort of vibe. Um, yeah, Seeker of Lost. I love the background. Every time, what I what I love about this game, right, is that every time we talk about characterization and I open up this book and flip through the pages, um, I, if you're lucky enough to have a book or if not, then the PDF, and I read the little backgrounds, particularly the magician. Oh my God, the magician. I, really I love the magician. All of them, like, it just, I, I can just find myself reading it and coming up with ideas really quickly. And it, it is a real good source for inspiration, which I think yep. we said this before, but fifth edition backgrounds doesn't doesn't really do that for me. No, I think it's that game is a is created to cater for as many types of games and people as possible. But because of that, I think sometimes you need to do a bit more work 
to find the inspiration whereas i think these are all very tied into the, the tone of the tolkien setting and like you're right reading the little paragraph a little chunk of of a suggested characteristic here already you like ideas of like oh, what would a hobbit be like with this or actually a man of gondor who has this particular despair how would that mean and kind of lead you on an adventure path. on an adventure on yes path. well i think i think that kind of wraps up all the things that i wanted to talk about about halmir have you got any in terms closing of thoughts or i was really and i well, say so, this is oh, we usually ask what are some favorite halmir moments don't we some favourite Halmir moments. Okay, well, let's do some early on ones so we don't do spoilers for the big plot of Raw. Early on ones that I were f- f- memorable. We crossed the Old Forest. Uh, we crossed Mirkwood on the Old Forest Road with a, with a dwarf. And oh, then this was the young. point at which... And that'll be our next adventure phase one, because that's next... Good. ...that we did, isn't it? Yeah. Then, in which case, I'll have no spoilers for what happened in the woods, but there was a moment with the dwarf and Halmir had never really encountered any dwarves and he was with new people and he didn't actually have any money and he was kind of struggling on his quest. He got the sense that the dwarf was trying to rip him off and he actually, uh, he threatened the dwarf with a knife in a, I think in a kind of like in, in his upbringing that might have things might have got a bit rough and ready in taverns before and he was not afraid to do that it was not like it, it shocked the party and it was not socially acceptable and it was a it was a misdeed and i think it was a big learning experience for him that he was like oh <laughs> oh that's not acceptable here and that was a bit of a low moment for him although it was good for development because actually then he really made an effort with dwarves and with new people to try and understand and be like okay i'm i'm well out of my comfort zone and my my homeland here and i need to (laughs) not apply that to other people i love that that's one of your favorite moments because it was like a real culture clash moment in a way he just totally misread the situation and uh he did what he thought which was that he was you know he was in the the mess with other soldiers and someone was you know whatever had happened someone was trying to screw him over and he was like all right i'll be you know i'll be the big man and he wasn't going to hurt the dwarf but he had grown up and had been raised in a, a, a realm of professional violence and um was quick to that as a solution to problems and it was not an acceptable solution yeah. Not long after that, though, um, and you, you mentioned it, actually, when we were at Lake Town, there was a there was a games for the anniversary of the downing of the dragon, and there was a festival which Halmir took part in, and as part of it, um, uh, uh, basically like a large kite of the dragon was like kind of floated across Lake Town, and there was a, a sort of a a games like a tourney to bring the dragon down, and Halmer actually won. He he managed to sort of outmuscle a couple of others and climbed onto the great hall of the new Lake Town and shot an arrow and hit the the kite, um, like Bard had hit Smaug. And um, he felt very. It was the first time I think in the campaign he really felt heroic again. And I think the other players and characters looked at him and were like, "Oh, he's yeah, he's quite capable." I love those games. That was a lot of fun that moment really cemented i think i then felt really like in his skin i was like i get who he is like i i understand who he is now there have been some great moments since then but they're very tied into kind of the next arc to finding baronor and i think they're maybe best kept for when we talk about some of those moments Mystery of it yeah we've 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 had a long pause um but now our our fellowship phase has ended <laughs> we're back in the adventure phase of the 
podcast. Hey, so, that's, that's the name of the show. Hey, that's the name of the show. Uh, so, well, great to hear about Halmir. I, I think he's a great character. We're going to be hearing about him more. Um, we've, we've still got more characters to cover. So look forward to doing them. Look forward to doing it. And I guess next we look forward to entering Mirkwood. Entering Mirkwood, yes. For the second time, for some. No emails except on party business. And comments, suggestions, and questions to thefellowshipphase at gmail.com. The long year turns to its close. Much we have accomplished these last seasons. Our fellowship disbands, but is not broken, and we will return. On the next episode of the fellowship phase.